Eyes peeled, everyone. It's time for the full 10 Yards College Football Podcast. Uh, it's Kay Johnson here from the South Dakota State Jackrabbits. I just wanted you guys to know that the UK base Full10Yards.com has their 2021 NFL Draft Guide coming out April 1st. So go go check it out. Go go buy it. Over 200 players, including myself, are being scouted on there. Um, get your pre-orders in now. Check it out. Hello and welcome to the Full 10 Yards College Football Podcast. Um, we're back and it's very, very close to draft season now, or draft night, or draft weekend, or whatever you want to say. By the time this comes out, this will be less than two weeks before draft night. We're just on the cusp of two weeks to go on the Wednesday evening. Joined by Kieran, Raj and Ed. Guys, how excited are we to for draft night? Loving it. It's so close now. Just been doing mock draft after mock draft and it is becoming so much more real. I just want it to be over. I just, I just want to know who the Bengals are taking. I just want this. Call, I just want it to be done. Like I, you have no idea how excited I am for the Miami Dolphins to be on the clock. That is it. it can just at this point, I'm just, I'm just done with it. I want it to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm excited. First time in my entire, you know, life watching football that the Patriots have had a pick outside of the top twenty. So, interesting times ahead. Uh, hopefully, we get Jalen Waddle or, or potentially trade up and go for Justin Fields. I, I think both are good options. This is the crazy thing I find is that you, you, are, you get this wonderful experience of drafting high and getting all of this. But also, you get such good picks in the 20s, usually, whilst if the Bengals ever get into the 20s, we're picking Billy Price. So, <laughs> I... I, I I'm just so jealous beyond belief of your situation. Look, if you guys hired some better staff, then... Look, look, I love the Bengals, right? I've always had an affinity for this team, and now I live in Cincinnati, obviously. I I like them even more. But I think maybe the owners just need to stop being super friendly with people and realise that they need to run the football team like a football team. Look, Kieran, no, no, I disagree. We don't need scouts. No, absolutely not. <laughs> you don't we need an indoor practice facility. To spend two months with 16-hour days staring down centres and running backs. That's what we need them to do. <laughs> I am. Um, I mean, getting back, I mean, I kind of agree with you, Ed. I, I think there's, there's a heavier draft fatigue this year, for sure. I don't know if it's going to do with the lockdown or the kind of abnormal draft cycle. Or maybe it's because we're fatigued from putting the draft guide together, I don't know. But yeah, I'm definitely just waiting for the, the night and the weekend to arrive and just have our usual cycle. And yeah, like, just let's have some picks. Let's actually know who's going there because chatter gets boring after a while and the over-analysis of Mac Jones and things like that. I know it happens every single year, but my God, let's just get it over and done with. But yeah, here we are. So we're going we're gonna to actually talk about some actual players again and we're going to talk about perfect prospect fits. We're going to do a bit of a round table. We've all brought some guys to the table and to the fore. Um, Raj, I'm going to come to you first, actually, because you've got a really interesting one. I can't wait to hear about this one. Yeah, so I've gone for... I, well, I, I seem to always go for Ohio State players to really please Kieran, especially. <laughs> um, but, but today I'm talking about um, Josh Myers. And for me, the perfect fit for him would be the Green Bay Packers. Uh, obviously, losing Corey Lindsley... Um, there is a need for centre. Now, they do have uh, Elks and Jenkins who could shift from guard to centre this year, but it's, it's one of those things whereby are you going to dispose a Pro Bowl guard and move him to centre at the expense of, obviously, a position that he's really good at? So, again, that that, that opens up a need for centre. Now, obviously, the Packers know how to both draft and... Uh, develop offensive linemen. All I need to look at is Billy Turner, for example. He's an absolute dud in Miami, and he's he's now a really serviceable starter, both at guard and at tackle at, at, at the Packers. So, yeah, Josh Myers, I can see him being a perfect fit for the Packers at the sort of their late round two pick. Um, he is very much uh, uh, sort of skilled at a run blocking more run blocking than pass blocking, um, especially on the inside inside zone 
blocking scheme. And I think with AJ Dillon probably having a greater role in the offense next year um, for the Packers, I think that type of zone blocking scheme will be really beneficial for the Lafleur uh, offensive system. Um, he's the ideal size and weight. He's six five. He's over three hundred pounds. Um, he's able to get to the second level, which is what you need in that kind of scheme. And I just think, obviously, as, as Lee, you know, you must you were chuffed with getting Corey Lindsley, and there is a hole to fill there. And I just think um, Josh Myers would be the ideal second second round pick. Um, obviously, because I think first round you want to. I think Packers really need to start getting some wide receiver weapons for Aaron Rodgers because last year's first round pick was a complete waste. Although a bit, bit early to bail on Jordan Love, but come on, you still got Rodgers in your prime, so you can give him as many weapons as you can. Uh, but I think round two fits the need. Um, and yeah, if you can if you can draft a centre uh, capable as capable as Josh Myers, you can see him as a 10-year starter in this league. I like it. I mean, it's really interesting. What really kind of stuck out when you kind of put this one down that you were going to pick? Like, do you feel that like Josh Myers has become like a bit of a forgotten man? He never seems to have got any hype, but he's probably like after Landon Dickerson and after Creed Humphrey, he's probably like the next best centre. But, you know, we've got Quinn Miners and, and other people that are kind of taking a little bit of the limelight. But Josh Myers has been solid, like you say, for Ohio State for his whole career there, pretty much. And no one seems to be talking about him. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's a solid... Uh, dependable center in 2019 he gave away no penalties and like that that's the kind of sort of that's the kind of solidity you need at center and it's he's not the flash name although when I watched a higher tape uh, a higher state tape last year it was him more than Wyatt Davis it was actually popping off on the screen more especially on the on, on the run plays where Trey Sermon busted out a few big runs uh, I, I thought he was more impactful there and I think yeah he is a forgotten man and uh, for me, Landon Dickerson's off my big board because of the injury concerns. I don't think you can draft him, considering the multiple ACL tears he's had. Uh, Quinn Miners, obviously, senior bowl standout, but he's, he's, he hasn't really proved it in, 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 in the, in, on the biggest of stages. Creed Humphrey, yet yeah, I think consensus centre center one, but he's, he's, again, solid without being spectacular. And, and I think Josh Myers is, should be in that conversation with Creed Humphrey as... as probably the second centre off the board, to be honest. Yeah, I saw that you you, you said that about Landon Dixon earlier in the week. I thought it was quite interesting. I think that you will be in the same boat as a couple of NFL teams as well, because I think I brought it up when we were talking about interior offensive linemen on our scouting pod. Those injuries are scary. He's had a lot of season-enders. So, yeah, I mean, we all love him as a character. I think he's one of my favourite players in this draft class. As, um, someone suggested when I put out a tweet on Monday on the Fulton Yards College football account, you know, Gyms are reopening and pubs are reopening. Who would you want to go for a workout with or a pint with? And someone said, um, Landon Dickerson. It was one of my favourite replies. Um, but yeah, I'm not solid. I'm not surprised because he can do cartwheels when when other when his fellow teammates are doing interviews. But but I think with, with Dickerson just diverging a little bit, having multiple ACL tears for someone that's over 300 pounds, like the amount of weight that goes on those knees for every single snap, they can't have done him good. Mm. And... For me, I'd be surprised if he even makes it even to a second contract because that wear and tear on those multiple, even though technology and, and medical science has greatly improved from 10, 15 years ago on knee injuries, having multiple ACL tears is a big red flag for me. Yeah, I mean, it is, isn't it? It really is. I mean, especially when you're going to go up against more weight, aren't you? And you're going to get more stress and more straight and it's going to be more constant because obviously you've got more to do in the NFL. So, yeah, completely agree. Um, I hope Van Dixon is okay. I like, really like him as a character. I like him as a player as well. So, yeah, I hope, um, hope he does better than, than you kind of forecasting there. But, yeah, I, I like it. Josh Myers, the Green Bay Packers. Really like it. Um, Ed, we'll come, we'll come into you next. Give the player in their perfect prospect fit. So this is a player that I've been work. I worked on. I think on Monday. I've been doing my my final big board stuff, and there's a few safeties I hadn't got through. And I was going through TCU safety, Ardarius Washington. And my first thought was, 
Steelers Mike Hilton replacement. I think this guy is a really, really strong candidate to be a good nickel corner safety in the league. He plays with outstanding toughness. He's really good coming downhill. He's very small, but he plays much bigger, really good tackling technique. And I think whilst I don't personally think he can operate um, at safety in the NFL, I just don't think he's got the frame for it. I think playing in the slot where he can use his coverage skills, where he can use his instincts uh, and then just come down at, at will in that Steelers system as a slot corner makes a lot of sense. Um, Mike Hilton's gone to the mighty Bengals and I see his game in Ardarius Washington a lot um, in this guy. I think I think is going to be undervalued a bit in the NFL, maybe because of size concerns, but he plays so well for his height. He's such a tough tackler and in run support, I have zero issues with him. I think you can kind of, you can, you can hide him a little bit in the slot. I don't want to say hide him, so I think he's good in coverage and he just doesn't have the length to disrupt bigger guys. So that'd be a slight concern, but the way he comes downhill reminds me a lot of Mike Hilton. We haven't really seen him blitz at TCU a great deal, but he feels like the kind of player that even though we haven't seen it, I think he could do it. And I think that slot corner role is very undervalued in the NFL. And there are a ton of guys in round two and round three that I think can do that role. Obviously, the big one for a lot of us guys, we use Elijah Molden. Uh, I think a few people have Jevon Holland in that mix. For me, I really like Darius Washington in that mold because I just love an aggressive slot corner, a uh, nickel safety guy who can come downhill and that fits the Steelers to a T. And also in this kind of, they don't want to say it's a rebuild, but it is a rebuild. He is a guy who plays bigger than he is. He works hard. And he sets an example. And for me, that just fits the organization perfectly. So, yeah, the instant I watched him, I thought, yeah, Mike Hilton, get him in the Steelers. Uh, he is so much fun to watch. I have a high third round grade on him. I don't know where he'll go, but I just I just love that fit. So, yeah, our Darius Washington's the Steelers is my one. Yeah, he's a, he's a mighty mouse. He doesn't mind coming downhill at all. I remember I was watching, obviously, for the 14 yard scouting guide again. Another plug in the second one. How well am I doing? Um, and I've got a bit of a high grade on him. And I watched him play against Oklahoma when Jalen Hurts was the quarterback. And he was taking on Jalen Hurts. We know how good Jalen Hurts is as a runner and how shifty he is and things like that. And he was coming down and meeting Jalen Hurts in the hole. And he was taking him down as well. He wasn't stepping back. So, yeah, I think he's a player that I really like, to be honest with you. And, yeah, I mean, the Steelers. Um, I really like it. What do you guys think? I mean, have you either of you guys watched Darius Washington? I'll bring the other guys in. So it just be my voice. Um, I like him. He's he's sort of that, like Ed said, with the the Elijah Molden comparison. He's like a small, scrappy guy, but despite his size and frame, he's really he's really willing to do a hundred and ten percent on every single snap. And I think that's really undervalued because every. every Look, every time we talk about in football, we talk about the blue-collar dudes, they're lunch-pale guys, and they're hard-working and scrappy, and normally that's just a euphemism for a player being white. Uh, but th- he generally is a great, hard-working player. His moment is constantly on. He goes 110% every play, and that's really, really undervalued today, especially when you get like some absolute athletic freaks in the league who kind of sometimes feel like they're slacking off on plays because they can get away with a lot because of their athletic abilities. And and, and guys like him and guys like Elijah Molden don't have that luxury. So they're going to be that player who is trying hard than everyone else, every single snap. And it really comes out in the way they play. Um, and, and yeah, that's why I like these undersized guys. They, they have to try harder. We've seen it with Hall of Famer Julian Edelman. He had to try 110% on every single snap throughout his career because he didn't have the physical abilities that other players play in his position did. And, and that's what I really like about Washington. Yeah, just, just to add to that as well, um, I think those undersized, scrappy, safety slash nickel uh, corners, they, I think they're going to be more valuable this year. If you look at the impact of Antoine Winfield Jr. and Ashton Davis, for example, last year, um, especially Winfield Jr. for the Bucks. Uh, I think they're going to be more in vogue this year than maybe previous years because you, well, I I really like the safety class from last year. And and for me, Antoine Winfield Jr. was the best out of the lot for me. So, yeah, Washington could be that guy this year. Yeah, it's a good shout. It's a really good comparison, actually. Um, It's pretty similar height. I would say Washington is a bit smaller, slighter kind of thing. But yeah, it's a really good shout, actually. It's not one that I drew comparison to. So yeah, I like it. I really like it. Um, Kieran, we'll come to you next. 
Yeah, this is probably a player not a lot of people expect, especially just because I think of the role he's going to serve. Probably a lot of people aren't going to be like, now why are you picking a guy to be a backup? But Shane Bouchel, in terms of quarterbacks coming out of college this year, he has the most experience. He's played 44 games. And before he had his job unceremoniously yanked from him by Lee's favourite player in Sam Ellinger, he, he was doing great at Texas. I mean, as a freshman, 21 touchdowns, uh, 11 picks, and then just never really saw the field again at Texas. Obviously went to Southern Methodist, SMU Mustangs, to, to just, you know, one of the weirdest named teams down in Texas. 34 touchdowns, 10 picks in his first year. And that really showed that he had the experience from the Big 12 there. He, he just lit up defenses. And even last year, 23 touchdowns and six picks, showing that, you know, maybe the production had slowed down, but also he kind of figured out the turnovers a lot. And I think he would go well at a team like the Steelers or even possibly uh, a Washington football team, a team where they have a veteran in right now, but it's not a long-term solution. So getting a guy in like Shane with a bunch of experience, potentially as a bridge quarterback for for the next year or so just why you find the perfect guy because if he steps in and does well then he's the guy and you've got a guy with a ton of experience and a ton of gifts that could be a very good NFL starter but I think a a team basically any team with an aging veteran he's going to be a good backup at because if he steps in he's not going to be you know he's not going to be one like one of these rookie backups who come in like you know Jarrett Stidham, who like flounders and has has a lot of way to go to develop. Um, so yeah, I think his experience will pay off for him in the long run. If a team just says, "Hey, we've got this guy. He's got a ton of experience at college. He might not necessarily play a whole lot this year, but let's see how he does in the back end of the season. Or, or if your starter goes down, or you need to rest guys, he's the perfect guy to come in and sort of you know." He is undersized. He's six foot one. I know we talk a lot about how that doesn't really matter, but NFL teams obviously really care about height and stuff for a quarterback. But yeah, give him a chance. I, I, I think he could potentially have some good moments in the NFL. I This is an interesting because I gave Shane Bichel the closest to draftable grade you could possibly imagine. I think he got my draftable level is 55. He got 55.2. And there is some there are some awful games in this tape. But I tell you what, and this is really interesting you bring this up, Kieran, because the 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 team that I thought he'd be a perfect fit for is the Arizona Cardinals because he comes from an air raid system at SMU and there is very few teams in the NFL that run a system like Kif, Cliff Kingsbury does. And I think, look, he's obviously never going to challenge Kyler Murray for a job. But if you're looking for a guy who has experience in that kind of system, has enough athleticism to get around the pocket a little bit, uh, and he, he has been productive with those kind of concepts, that was instantly my thought. And he's never going to start for the Arizona Cardinals, ever. I don't think he's going to start for anyone, to be honest. But... As Kieran says, he has lots of experience and experience within that system is useful. So that was my first thought. And I would love that to be maybe just a third quarterback, second quarterback behind Kyler Murray. That could be something that develops there. So I like that fit. The, the only thing that I was going to say that actually impressed me about him, um, other than the experience and, you know, he he's not in some games that were there to win for him, which he lost. Um But it's interesting, Ed points out the air raid system because you tend to find air raid raid quarterbacks overproduce. You know, we've seen it with like Gardner Minshew, Mm. Anthony Gordon. I was going to say, Anthony Gordon was like everyone's favourite quarterback last year, wasn't he? I had him as a dark horse. Turns out he fucking sucks. Um, (laughs) But these air raid guys overproduce. We've seen it a bunch of times and I think the NFL is kind of enamoured with them, the air raid system in itself because, you know, People still think Cliff Kingsbury's a competent coach. I'd rather have Zach Taylor than Cliff Kingsbury, and that's saying a lot. Um, <laughs> but it's clear that he can work within that system and he can keep his touchdowns, uh, touchdown to interception, a, a decent margin. He's not throwing Kevin Costello level interceptions and throwing five or six 
interceptions after he's just had a six touchdown game. Um, which goes to the other four that potentially as a backup in Tampa Bay, because we know that Bruce Arian system, very high risk, high reward didn't quite work for a guy who couldn't see properly, but has obviously paid off for Tom Brady big time. And if if you bring him as a backup in there, he's used to that high risk, high reward, no risk it, no biscuit sort of scheme. So potentially even a backup for Tom Brady out there, he could, he's, he's he's basically 10 times more athletic than Tom Brady, which I know isn't (laughs) hard, but even if you brought him in to close out a season, um, 17 game season, next season, Tom Brady's obviously 800 fucking years old you potentially bring this guy in to close out a season if you have a couple of games he could potentially do well and i you know tampa bay would actually be quite a good fit for him the disrespect to blaine gabbert is disgusting and i really want i really think you should apologize for that but it's interesting we talk about backups because this is the we talk about the, like the top five guys in this class but this is a if you want a backup and you're drafting a backup this is the perfect year Kyle Trask is an ideal backup in, at the start of day three, in my mind. Shane Bajel, I have my problems with him, but he brings experience. Sam Ellinger is exactly the kind of person you would want to back somebody up because he's not particularly good, but he is clutch. And of course, Notre Dame legend Ian Book brings leadership. So we have loads of options there. So yeah, I think this is a perfect draft for the team to are thinking, like, actually, there's value here in round five, six, seven, finding our backup. There are loads of guys. Yeah, there's loads of bad quarterbacks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not great. Basically, <laughs> I'm putting it in a nicer way than that. Yeah, you are. But, yeah. Uh, look. <laughs> yeah, you've been more charitable than I am. I'm it's happy always... you didn't mention Kellen Mond because we would have had a problem. He's Kellen my Mond... guy. Kellen Mond is not a backup, though, in my opinion. That's what I, that's what I would say. He's one of those guys where... He's a new uh, Patriots franchise that... quarterback. He's either going to be a starter somewhere or he's going to burn out. And that's where I kind of see his profile. He's not someone I draft as a backup, as I would have Trask, basically. But yeah, it's a a fun quarterback class for that. So I think there's a couple of guys who will stick. But I would put a good like 20 quid on Sam Alenga being in the NFL in 2028. I don't think he's going to be particularly good, but someone is going to have him as a backup for that long. You think he's going to be like a Josh McCown type? Yeah, I do, but I just think... He could be, because he's a good guy, isn't he? He's he's a a good guy, and I tell you what, he may not be able to throw with much anticipation. That's my big (laughs) issue with him. But you look how he stepped up when needed. Texas needed him a lot under Tom Herman. He stepped up in those big moments. I care very little about a guy's arm strength as a backup. I care not too much about anything, really, apart from the fact that, do I trust this guy to come in at a crucial point in our season take over and lead us home. And if you were to say, uh, anyone in this class below you know, day three, who am I putting in overtime drive situation? I'd probably put Sam Alengren. I think I just think he's clutch. I don't think he's a particularly good quarterback, but he's clutch. So Yeah, he's a big moment that's, guy. That's he's a, he is bit. a big moment guy. And I, I, I've obviously you know, got my very public views out there on him and I've obviously never been a fan, but... Yeah, I agree. I don't have to kind of concede that he is coming up in the big moments and he is like a big character. And that's obviously what Texas fans absolutely loved about him. And that's what a lot really of really hoping like, the Chargers draft him now as a backup. <laughs> we don't, we've fucking beautiful. Fortunately, fortunately we've, we've bought, well, bought, we've got in uh, Chase Daniel as a backup and obviously we've got Easton Stick as well. So we, we'll be fine. We'll, we'll be but all right. If they did get him as backup, they'd probably puncture his lung like they did with Tyrell Taylor, right? To be fair, I mean, we, we do need a fullback. So, I mean, he could be challenging Ben Mason from Michigan as the top fullback in the draft. I don't know. Genuinely, though, I think he could take reps there. What, as fullback? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I yeah, he, he should he should literally just do that. And that, that was actually going to be my quip when you said that he'll be in the NFL in 2028. I was like, yeah, as a fullback, yeah, but... I don't see why he couldn't do things on special teams. Yeah, yeah. Like a yeah. Little, there is like pride. That for the, yeah, that's a good point. But for there are certain teams who, and I don't subscribe to this theory. There are certain teams like the whole Eagles getting hurts thing, where they're like, we can fight. We we have a guy who can run a bit. We could fit him into different offensive plays. And like, there is genuinely a way where a, a team with maybe a slightly older quarterback who doesn't have that running threat could somehow bring Ellinger into their their system in a sense the way that florida for example used um, emory jones mm. when they had kyle trask occasionally just you know i just want to run the ball a bit 
Here you go, Sam. Take over for a minute. Um, and it kind of, I guess, Taysom Hill style plays with the Saints run. You could do. Yeah, some... I was about to say they put a tight end, tight end in as quarterback last year, and yeah, it and wasn't like, terrible. Sam Allinger is is never going to be the same utility player as Taysom Hill, but you could do similar thing where you pretend Taysom's going to throw, like Taysom's going look, 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 and they just charge him straight down the middle. Um, we're getting into a really nice rabbit hole over backups here. So yeah. this is great. This is exactly you said the draft season was starting to starting to get to us. This is the real, this is the real stuff. I you know, I've been waiting months just to know where Felipe Frank is gonna go. I'm delighted we're finally talking about it. I mean, to be fair, I was actually gonna bring up Felipe Frank the other week because he had a really good pro day. Was it last week, wasn't it, when we had pro day chats? He's hilarious. I love him. I like I, I just think on like on natural ability, he like and a lot of that physical traits, he's like second to Trevor Lawrence, but then he just doesn't know how to play quarterback. <laughs> he just doesn't. Bless him. He works and the thing is everyone's like he works really hard, but he just he just doesn't get it. <laughs> like I said before, there's plenty of bad quarterbacks in this draft for sure. <laughs> we'll move on but yeah it was, it was almost a great podcast topic on its own like we should a little, little offshoot podcast that we should talk about just backups for a little while um, but I'm going to take it back onto the offensive line I'm going to follow Raj's lead actually um, and I'm going to talk about a great fit for Arthur Smith obviously Arthur Smith the offensive coordinator for the Tennessee Titans last year Derek Henry running for 2,000 yards and uh, obviously setting all sorts of records in the offence and I said it last week when we did our mock draft that um the Atlanta Falcons need an offensive line to kind of make that happen. Obviously, at number four, when I was the Falcons, I drafted Penny Swore. Obviously, that's not going to happen, I don't think. Um, or it's somewhat unlikely. So how about going back a round or two and drafting Ben Cleveland from Georgia? Man, this guy is a powerhouse. I mean, he I mean he's big, but when you see him, he doesn't look like he's actually that big. And then you see his weight, and he's like, wow, this guy's like 350 pounds. But he moves someone that is at 350 pounds. He's this perfect kind of aggressive uh, dickhead demeanor that we always talk about with, with guards and things like that. He's that power scheme guy. And that's what Arthur Smith is going to want to run. The Atlanta Falcons have got a vacancy in one of their guard spots. You could fit, you know, it's not premium draft capital that you're spending on a guard at the top of the draft. Get Ben Cleveland in the third or even the second round and just watching bulldoze people <laughs> because, you know, they've got Caleb McGarry, who's better run blocker. They've got Jake Matthews, who's probably a better run blocker than he is uh, a pass blocker. Fitting Ben Cleveland there, I mean, you've got a small centre in Matt Hennessy, that's a bit of a problem. I don't know how Arthur Smith's going to kind of get around that. Maybe he's going to uh, draft another centre or something like that and make Hennessy the backup. But yeah, I mean, they need a running back as well, which is something else. Maybe a running back in the second, like Javante Williams, and then Ben Cleveland in the third, and they could make hay with this offense, I think. And that's Arthur Smith's kind of like wet dream, I feel. Yeah, that, I, I really like that pick and, and that fit. And I, obviously, I can look at it from a Georgia uh, perspective, whereas in terms of we drafted Solomon Kindley last year in, in the fourth round, and he came from Georgia, and he is an absolute bully. Um, and he's, his run blocking is, is absolutely brilliant. And he's an absolute beast of a man. I think he's like, 340 pounds he's also mm. a lifeguard so there you go but um <laughs> but uh, but yeah and obviously it didn't work out with isaiah wilson at the titans because he's got a few screws loose in his head but he was an absolute bear moth of a man as well um so georgia know how to produce those big beastly offensive linemen that are really good at, at run blocking and yeah arthur smith definitely wants to have that featured run game to make sure that he can recreate what he did at, ten at Tennessee. So, yeah, love love the fit. I would say with Ben Cleveland, though, if, if Atlanta are going to take him, they're taking him in the second round because he's going before round three. There's guys in, in Bengals' Twitter who are like, well, we'll take him at 38. We'll take really? Him. Yeah, there, there's, oh, wow. there's a lot of hype around him. I don't personally agree. Mm. I don't think he's quite a top 40 pick, but there are people like, this is one of the guys we should be considering to slot in at guard round two. So I, I have zero doubt he will be gone before the Falcons third pick in round three. Um I but I, I love the fit, but it, it's a it's a weird one because he's kind of in that situation where I'm not sure if I want to draft him at the top of round two, but I love him in round the top of round three. And it's a it's a weird one. But yeah, he he will go earlier than I think people think he will. I think he's one of those guys who just randomly end up in the top 50 out of nowhere. Mm, that's interesting. Because I feel like Obviously, he's quite a big name, and he has been for quite a while. Obviously, on Georgia, 
George has always had a good running game when he's been there. He's been kind of like the premier guard, along with like people like Kinley and people like that who they've had. They've always had a good running game. And um, I just feel like he's kind of slipped down a little bit. I don't think people talk about him nearly enough. But obviously, you're kind of seeing it from first point of view from people in your fan base kind of talking about him, which obviously we're not really getting in the Chargers because obviously we've kind of sorted out our interior offensive line. So maybe it's kind of a perspective thing. But I was thinking, yeah, he'll be there at the start of round three, for sure, almost. I'm, I'm like I said, my, you heard my surprise in my voice when you kind of brought it up. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, th- this is just the, that's what I've been hearing. I, the way I see this guard class, if you're actually going to get a guard rather than a tackler who's going to go to guard, at this point, I'd put a fiver on him going before Wyatt Davis because Ooh. I just think that the, the, Wyatt, you, we were talking about Josh Myers earlier, and I really like Josh Myers, and I think he'd be a great fit for the Packers in round three or four. And I was watching a bit of Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers on that offensive line. I said, Wyatt Davis kind of underwhelmed me a bit. I still think he's a round two guy, but he just underwhelmed me a bit. And with Ben Cleveland's athletic testing and, you know, the the physical power he shows on tape, I, it wouldn't surprise me because it, it feels weird that we have what everyone seems to have Wyatt Davis in the 30s and 40s. But mm. I'm just not convinced from staring down the tape that he brings anything special enough to be picked there. So that that would be... I mean, it might be a surprise, but that, that that's just something that's been stuck in my head, that he might just go very early out of nowhere and go over guys. Like, I know maybe even Alex Leatherwood and people like that who they project to play guard. It would mm. be a weird one, but I, I I think he could go very high. You should have saved it for our Bold Takes article or podcast, whatever we do in the next few weeks, a couple of weeks. That's a really good point. But, uh, <laughs> but no, I, I like it. Yeah. I have a few more on the locker, it's fine. I'm sure we won't be short of spicy takes anyway on the between the six of us or seven of us, however many there'll be on the article. Um, but no, it's also another factor of keeping him in state as well, so he doesn't have to travel too far and things like that from from um, for Athens to, to Atlanta. Um, who started? Raj, we'll come back to you if you started. Yeah, I just want to... So, obviously, me, yourself and Kieran were on a, a mega mock uh, draft on last Saturday with the NFL Draft Punk guys and the pick I made for the Dolphins at 55, because we obviously we traded out of 36, was Amon Ra St. Brown um, for the Dolphins. And that was met with a little bit of hesitancy and muted silence a little bit, considering that, again, I think it's like Josh Myers is where he's just a name that's been forgotten in the, to play in the slot. And I think there's been a lot of sexy names that have sort of reared their head again in terms of Elijah Moore and Amari Rogers and Rondell Moore. And um, yeah. And I just think Amon Rasin Brown has been completely forgotten. He didn't run a flashy pro day 40 time, but I think as we mentioned last week, like if you just hit your target, that's good enough. And I just really love his skill set in terms of he can play the short, intermediate and, and vertical vertical game. He's got really good hands. He's tough. He can play outside um, as well as in the slot. I think he's really developed his game in 2020. And I just think, again, he's just being forgotten about. And I, I've already said I want him with the Dolphins as, as my slot receiver over um, potentially Elijah Moore and Amari Rogers, even though Amari Rogers was coached by the Dolphins at the Senior Bowl. But I just... I just really, really like him. And I think Andy's of the same opinion. If you read his article that went out uh, last week, I think he's been really undervalued. And yeah, I, I, I'm i a lot higher on him. And I, I really want to see him potentially at the end of end of round two at the Dolphins, because I think it'd be perfect for, for the wide receiver um, depth chart. Yeah, we've had a lot of, of love, haven't we, for among the St. Brown amongst us. But it does seem to die off. Maybe it's just a part of the natural kind of draft cycle of people coming in and out of favour a little bit, because... I don't, I feel like, again, kind of maybe what I was talking about with Ed there about perspectives. And I think because of, as a group, we've liked him so much, he seems to have been um, kind of on in our thoughts so much, but perfect pick. But yeah, you're right, it was kind of mixed, uh, hit with a little bit of pushback, wasn't it? Yeah, there you go, rebuttal to our, to whoever doubted my pick on Saturday. There you go. I'm, I'm banging the table more for Armand Ross St. Brown. But I think, I think we all agreed that he's, I, I made the comparison to Jarvis Landry because I really want to see a Jarvis Landry type player back at Miami. And, He's he's like, he's really tough. He, like he really fights for the extra yardage, and I yeah, I just I just really really like him. And I think as we've seen in the draft the last few years, it's it's the round two, round three wide receivers that that are most impactful compared to the round one guys. And I wouldn't be surprised if if we sit, sit, sat here in a year's time and say right, which wide receivers really impressed us in their first year at the NFL? I can see him being 
one of the top 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 guys on that list to be honest mm. yeah i am um, one of my very first articles before St. Ads was talking about um sort of buyer beware in the first round with wide receivers because i feel like it's very very hit and miss and you get a lot of value and day two wide receivers always think it's the sweet spot so you know <laughs> yeah he could bust you right yeah pointing at Jamar chase obviously behind him in his background <laughs> <laughs> um but no Raj, i think that's right and it's good actually good signposts as well we had a really good uh, couple of hours with the nfl draft punk so yeah don't often emphasize other people, but yeah, go over, listen to me, Raj and Kieran on the NFL Draft Punk. There's a couple of hours, they split up into two podcasts. It was a mega mock, whole bunch of uh, good faces from the sort of NFL Draft UK kind of uh, community. Lots of good takes, a few iffy picks, let's say. Maybe not from us three, but maybe from a few people. But uh, yeah, it was a heck of a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, go over and listen to them. They're really good guys as well. Um, we've done, obviously, me and Kieran did a couple with them uh, not too long ago as well. Uh, Kieran, we'll come back to you actually for your next one. Yeah, I enjoyed that mega mock because no one criticised my draft picks. They actually said they were exceptional. Two separate people said that, so... Little gold star for you, mate. Been saying I was a genius for a while. Um, <laughs> this is... This is a bit of a bizarre pick. And my girlfriend's going to love it because it's the school she attended. Bowling Green State University tight end, Quinton Morris. Now, Ed looks excited because it's Bowling Green. And, you know, everyone loves a bit of action. The Mid-America Conference is... I think the most famous player recently is probably fucking Kareem Hunt or Logan Woodside. Maybe Deontay Johnson. They all came out of the same school. Um, but, yeah, Quinton Morris, very, very good tight end. Four, five, eight, forty, which isn't blazing fast, but also... He's a tight end. I mean, we saw the absolutely exceptional Thaddeus Moss run a 4-4-40. So uh, that's good for Ed. 34-inch uh, jump, which is the only concerning thing. But also, he is a tight end. Uh, he's, you know. But if you watch him at Bowling Green State, he was probably the best player on the entire team. One of the top teams, uh, one of the top players in the MAC on a very underperforming school. I feel like if you snag this guy with a seventh round, maybe even after free agent pick, he could do very well at a team in need of a tight end. Maybe. I feel like I know where this is going. <laughs> yeah, no, not the Patriots. Um, no, I thought you were going to say the Chargers, to be honest. After I was actually going to say the Chargers. Lead into the Hunter Henry thing, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah I was going to say a team like the Chargers or potentially a team. Chargers. What was that? Panthers. Yeah, Panthers could use him as well. But the thing is, he came into school as a wide receiver, which shows on tape. He, he, he runs very clean routes for a tight end. And while his blocking does leave something to be desired, his size means that's, that's just going to take time in camp. But the way he runs routes, his side-to-side -side speed, we know I always talk about how fluid players' hips are. He, he looks great in side-to-side -side movement and his release is very, very good for a tight end. It's very quick, it's very clean and he transitions very, very well. And you see in some of the touchdowns, look, it's Bowling Green. He's not going to be catching a bunch of touchdowns even if he was Jamar Chase. They just, they don't have the quarterback talent. Even the guy I sent there, um, the guy I coached for a little bit, he's not very good. Um but yeah, he, he, he's a great player. He high points the ball in the end zone. He loves to play physical as well. He was he played basketball as well. I think I think he actually played basketball at Bowling Green as well. Um, and yeah, the, he he um, he's quite quick. I mean, he's he's not he's not a burner or anything. But off the line, he's pretty good. And as far as tight ends go fairly athletic he's not like like i said he's not this big powerful bruiser type of guy but if you're looking for a guy who over the over a couple seasons could develop into like you know a free trial version of kelsey or kittle you, you know what i mean like the paid version it does it's not like, that phrase before, I really it's like, like the free trial he doesn't have all the features but it's not terrible um i think he could develop into a fairly decent tight end and 
you know, we've seen guys like Darren Waller absolutely suck coming into the league and then really develop. And I think if you put this guy in the right team in the right system, uh, who is going to use his athletic abilities correctly and help coach him correctly, he could become a very, very good tight end in the league. And out of a small school as well, he'd potentially put this school on the map because they're most, they're, they're best ever player never even made it to the NFL. And who's their most famous player now? Scotty Miller. <laughs> so yeah yeah I, I think give this guy a chance in the nfl like i said take an undrafted free agent pick on him maybe a seventh round pick if, if you really want to go ahead and get him and you put him in the right system he could develop into a very very good tight end i think he'd be great at the Chargers. um uh you know lee, lee thought i was probably going to mention it as as a meme because his heart was broken by the dreamboat that is hunter henry new england patriot future ring of honor player but yeah, he, he would fit very well there. A guy like Justin Herbert, who we saw through a lot of screens and stuff in college. Obviously, he can let the ball fly, but I don't know if that, you know, I don't know how good your offensive line is going to be next season. So, okay. so a, a tight end to use as a safety blanket, who he can get some quick balls out to and, and pick you up 10 to 15 yards a go around as he releases so quick. Yeah, I, I think that'd be a great pick for the Chargers. And you know what I'm going to say, don't you, Lee? Special team. Use him on special teams. <laughs> you're going to have to get some new material soon, son. Well, <laughs> you guys get new special teams and uh, I'll need to. It's on. <laughs> <laughs> Ed, you're really excited about Bowling Green State there. I Bowling Green is a fantastic university. I think the slander is disgusting. This is actually, this is a good fact for you. That's where Urban Meyer started. Urban Meyer got his job at Utah because he went something like 11 and two with Bowling Green and they hadn't won more than like seven games in like 20 years or something. So that's I, I, I can't even do that in NCAA 14. So yeah. that, you know what I mean? That's impressive. That's where, where the Meyer legacy started, Bowling Green. So yeah, and I, I do like I do like um, I, I do really I really like that like I fit in the sixth and seventh round because I just think taking a flyer on a tight end with some athletic ability and you know the fact that he, he was a wide receiver I think it's kind of fine because I think you can play those positionless tight ends these days so yeah taking a guy like him in the sixth or seventh I actually quite like that the Bengals maybe in the seventh because we're we're in need of a tight end and as much as I'm hoping Tommy Trumbull will be be there in the fifth he won't be so. Yeah, I, I would like that for the Bengals round seven or anybody who just wants to take a flyer on an athletic offensive piece, really. 20 NFL scouts went to attend his pro day. And, you know, he's he's 240-ish pounds. You know, he drifts between there and 250. So he's got, like, when I say he was a, a wide receiver, he's a really fucking big wide receiver. Um, but, you know... He's perfect tight end size, and 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 it, you know, he drops some sitters, but you know what I mean. I've not got him in the first round. This is all stuff that that can be worked on with him. And obviously, Ed, you know, loves Bowling Green. There, my girlfriend's from Bowling Green. I've got to give them the shout out. You know, that gets me in the good books. <laughs> it's all about being in the good books. But yeah, no upside in the seventh. Who can who can say no? Who can say no to that? Ed, we'll come to you for your second guy. I'm going to be pretty quick with this one um, because I just, I think the fit's so obvious. I'm very close to releasing my big ball. Whenever I look at it, I think who is the top 40 player, the guy I gave a first round grade that everyone's going to be so annoyed at me for giving them a first round grade. And the guy I have, who I know everyone's going to be up in arms about is Joseph Asai, the edge rusher out of Texas. And I love him, not because I think he is a particularly... Um, brilliant edge rusher at this point. I love the scheme fit for a 3-4 team playing him as an outside linebacker rushing the passer. And whenever I looked at him, it kind of he always got in the backfield, right? He was always getting in there, making plays, sacks, you know, get, getting involved, the just disrupting things behind it. But actually wasn't particularly good in run defense, as we saw um, in the game against Oklahoma State, where Tevin Jenkins tore him in half <laughs> but he did get the game-winning sack there so mm -hmm. but he's a guy who played middle linebacker until last season he's only played one year at the edge and i see him as a guy who can operate as a three four outside linebacker dropping into coverage with the athleticism to rush the passer and for me 
just a guy who's really athletic, um, can get himself around and work off other players on the defensive line. He's just Bud Dupree, I think, in that Steelers role, where Bud Dupree has all of this production because of how good the rest of the Steelers' defensive line is, really. Like, I like Bud Dupree. He's a really high-motor guy, pretty athletic, who gets in and cleans up. I think that's what Joseph Asai can be, but I think he can be a better edge rusher because of how athletic he is. So, yeah, I know they have Alex Highsmith from Charlotte. I think he was a third or fourth-round pick last year, and that, I think, was the kind of guy they had in mind. But I love the pick of him uh, opposite TJ Watt and just using athleticism to rush past, but also how he's pretty good in coverage. So... You know, there's always these kind of tweener guys who play on the edge. Everyone's like, oh, I don't know really where to play him. And then someone with a 3-4 scheme just throws him a couple of balls, sees he can play in coverage and picks him up. And uh, wherever he goes, he will be good as long as it's a 3-4 scheme. If he goes to a 4-3 scheme, he will not work. If he goes to the right scheme, he will. So I love the fit to the Pittsburgh Steelers because it just it is very Bud dupree I think. And you need that kind of player, I think. It's like with the Rams with Leonard Floyd. They brought him back basically because he cleans up when the you know, when the quarterback's running away from Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd's right there to tackle him. Mm. And that's kind of what you need a lot of the time when you have studs on the defensive line. So yeah, Joseph Asai is the ultimate scheme fit because I have him as I have him as a first round grade for a three-four team. But I think if I was to actually look at him as a four-three player, I'm not sure he would be so favoured. So, yeah, love him as the ultimate scheme fit in this draft. My guy is wearing a Bengals hoodie and he's recommended two players for the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's a nightmare. It's not <laughs> a nightmare, but it, it's, it's nice, actually, because I'm recommending players to them because they have so many holes in the roster. It's actually very <laughs> satisfying. But, yeah, just whenever I, whenever I, I, I watch him, it, it just I, I just think there's so much untapped potential there as a pass rusher because he's having to deal with... Uh, defending the run a lot and he's okay at it but he doesn't quite have the body mass to do it mm. whereas I think playing him in that slightly different role where you don't really have to worry about it as much and he can drop into coverage more and he's playing with so much talent in that front seven for the Steelers you can basically cover up his deficiencies and just say look Joseph drop into coverage use your athleticism there because he flew at his combine we were also quite Jason Oway, obviously, but this guy flew at his combine. The athleticism numbers were incredible. So he can definitely work in coverage and then just let loose, sprint down the outside, get, get amongst it. And I think he has a lot of development to do, but if you put him in the right scheme, he can be productive relatively early. Uh, and I just think that he's a, he's a great project. I don't know where you pick him if you're the Steelers, because you probably have your mind on a more... A, you know, day one starter at tackle in round one. But if he fell to you in round two, you'd be utterly delighted. So, yeah, I love this. It is the ultimate scheme fit because it's, it's I, because if I if he goes to a four three team, I'm going to instantly regret giving him a first round grade. But yeah, I just think for a team like the Steelers with so much talent, it just makes a lot of sense, and I think he can have an impact for them. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, yeah. I've looked at him for the Dolphins as well at eighteen in our three four scheme, and um. Yeah, I really like him. If he was to be an upgrade over Andrew Van Ginkle, I just think, uh, yeah, if if you cover up his deficiencies as a, as a as a run blocker and just purely put him on the third down blitz packages, for example, then he would absolutely fly. I reckon. Yeah, any team with like that Patriots hybrid style defense where they find these tweener guys and get them in would be great. I think a Dolphins would be a great pit. I think the Giants would be an interesting fit as well um so I, I just think there are a lot of teams who, who could use them in different ways i think that i think the dolphins would have quite enough to to quite enough plays for him straight away to get him at on the 18 but maybe well one of the second round picks would be interesting hmm. yeah really nice really nice pick i think i completely agree in terms of on a certain roster he'd be a great player on others he'd be absolutely lost um, so yeah, no, completely agree with that. I think he needs a bit more experience playing the edge as well, because like you say, only one year of experience. I just think when I watched him for the scouting guide that he just didn't really know what he was doing at times off the edge, but obviously that will come with time. And athleticism and motor, like, you know, we talk about motor and there should be a picture of Joseph Sine next to the word motor in the football dictionary, I think, because he's epitomising that. Um, I'm going to stay on defence because I can't. I went offence in the first one. I have to stay on defence. has to be true to my brand. Um, and I'm going to talk about a player that, Raju, you sniped from me on the weekend when we were going through the, uh, the draft punks uh, mock draft, and that's Baron Browning 
for Ohio State. I'm having a very Ohio-centric uh, day uh, here. And I mean, in fact, the whole podcast has almost been, hasn't it, really? But I'm going to give him as a perfect pick for the Cleveland Browns because earlier on today, the Cleveland Browns signed Jadavian Clowney. And I just feel like their run defence is going to be insane. You know, we've got Miles Garrett, we've got Clowney. Uh, in the middle, they've got people like Andrew Billings, they've got Sheldon Richardson, they have Tack McKinley. Like, they're all pretty decent. You know, Malik Jackson as well, who they've just signed in free agency as well. They're all pretty decent run defenders. You know, they, they need a bit more pass rush, you know. We know that Jadavian Clowney is not going to, you know, give too much of that. But I feel like if you have like the run game kind of locked up and you have you know a bit of pass rush coming through there, I feel like players like Baron Browning, Matt Jones, the great in coverage, they're really athletic, and I think they could absolutely clean up. And I just feel like in the second level, that that linebacking call would just be really nice with maybe not even like premium talent. I mean, I think you're going to have to draft Baron Browning in the twenties. I don't think he's going to last in the second round or anything like that. Like he like he strangely in this mock draft that we we had where you. You took him late in the second for one of my teams that I was picking for. But I, I do think that as kind of like a run and chase will or something like that, or just someone who's just going to absolutely clean up on the second level, when someone does break through, Javion Clowney, Miles Garrett, etc., he's just going to rack up all the tackles. And Mac Jones is going to get Mac Jones. Mac Wilson, should I say, is really good in coverage as well. Jacob Phillips, obviously, LSU linebacker in there as well in Cleveland. So, you know, you've got a few young guys there that can all do a little bit of everything. And Baron Browning, I think, would add a little bit of class to what was, what I think, Jacob Phillips was like a fifth-round pick. Matt Wilson was fourth, I would say. He was definitely a day-three guy, unexpectedly. Baron Browning would be the kind of diamond in that as well. And you're kind of looking at a Cleveland Browns team as well, who, wow, I mean, they could be going for it all next year, don't you think? Super, Super Bowl 2022. I... I said on your team, you'll say this week with Sean that I think Cleveland Browns right now have a nice three to five year Super Bowl window and they draft right that they're, they're going to be making a run. And I think minimum every year they should be aiming for AFC championship game. And yeah. a, a guy like that adds to that. We've just got to hope he's a diamond in the rough and not cubic zirconia and fluff. <laughs> If they can get if they can get one more year out of OBJ and then draft well this year, they should win that division. Uh, Steelers aren't Steelers are a myth and they're a secretly bad team, like I've said a couple of times. And the Ravens, you know, Lamar Jackson, has he been found out now in this league? Um, they, they should win that division, and yeah, they they could they could get the Super Bowl. And and going back to Baron Browning, I, I've talked about Baron Browning in the podcast before and I meant and I picked him for the Dolphins and in our mega mock draft. I think he's like one of those three down linebackers that can that can do it all. He can defend the run, he can yeah, blitz, he can he can cover um tight ends. He's, he's just that sort of solid piece in the linebacking core that just I think someone like the Browns with their with their edge talent now with Clowney and Garrett, he would just he, he I think he would just ball in, in, in Cleveland. The perfect signing is what's well, exactly what they needed because the defensive line, the Miles Garrett is this probably the best bull rusher in the league, top three edge in the league. All they needed to do was add a guy on the other side to take up space, and they've just got Jadavian Clowney. I think if they were to get a three technique in the draft as well, suddenly you're looking at this defensive line and you're kind of like, where do we? How can we double team anyone? I mean, if they, I would love it if they went and got Milton Williams in the second round. Oh, Diggy Zua. Oh, Diggy Zua. Anyone <laughs> like that, Milton Williams or Diggy Zua, those kind of proper three techniques who can be, you know, premium. Disruptive. That would be, that would be great for them. So, I, I, yeah, I would love an idea of a guy like Baron Browning in there as well. But a three technique would be a sneaky thing. They should throw a couple of picks on round two, round four, whether that's maybe. Ideal scenario, picking up Milton Williams and Igalak as a Digazua or something like that. That would be a then you're then you're a serious problem, especially when the Ravens' offensive line is not as good as it used to be. Losing Marshall Yonder, obviously, and the, you know they're going to be down the tackle at some point, presumably. And Bengals uh, are picking up Jamar Chase and some second rounders, so that's going yeah. to be rough for Borrow. Bengals are there for taking, and look, the Steelers have lost a lot of starters as well so actually the, the Browns suddenly in this smash mouth division have the perfect chance with three offensive lines that are kind of standing on the edge of the cliff and not really bothering to do much about it you can just kind of 
know, push him off the edge with a nice with, with a nice three technique, and suddenly you have one of the best defensive lines in the league, and you have Grant Delpit coming back, and your secondary is looking a bit better, and suddenly the Cleveland Browns might actually be quite good, and it's quite scary. Big Ben <laughs> is going to get turned into a pinata next year. It's going to be great. Inst- instead of candy falling out, it's going to be old crumpled beer cans and half-smoked cigarettes. I just also, I'd start Mason Rudolph against the Browns twice. Yeah, just, I Miles Garrett to hit him again. Yeah, just stick him in there. Have a bit of fun with it. Just try and avoid Big Ben being crumpled and half halfway through his retirement season. Because the worst case scenario is he plays the Browns, gets injured, is like, you know what? I don't want to go out this way. I'm coming back for 2022. <laughs> Cloudy's going to come off one edge. Miles Garrett's going to come off the other. They're going to collide, and all you're going to see is a helmet and a and a jersey with the number seven on it, and Big Ben will be nowhere to be seen. And then Juju's still in the centre circle doing his TikTok dances in the meantime, right? <laughs> Can't wait to watch Von Bell to lay his ass out again. The thing is, Can't right... Wait. The thing is, as Ed said as well, they're going to generate a lot of coverage sacks as well because their secondary is sneaky good if they get all their players back. Uh, Denzel Ward, uh, Greedy Williams and, and Grant Delpit. Like, that is a really good secondary. And obviously, depending if they're all fit and, and firing, then Garrett, uh, Clowney, Browning, if he's there, and all those guys, they're going to generate a lot of pass rush. Mark my words, Delpit's going to be one of the top safeties in the league next year. Loved Grand Delpit coming out. It's, it's sad he didn't have that season because they really lacked a safety last year and you felt like that was one thing that could have kind of pushed them over the brink a little bit. I kind of felt they got to their ceiling anyway, being beaten by the Chiefs, but he was, you know, he's a really good player, so that's great for them. You know how you can tell he's a special player, right? He got the number seven jersey at LSU. Yeah. And the last few number sevens have been electric. Jamar Chase obviously didn't play the season. He was given the number seven. Tyron Matthew, Leonard Fournette. Only the best players at LSU get the number seven. You say what you want about Leonard Fournette. He fucking killed it for the first few years in the league. And he was absolutely exceptional at LSU. And guys like Tyron Matthew have worn it. So it just shows how special he is. Yeah, and that's the, the worrying thing for the Browns is actually that suddenly we talk about their defense being sneaky. The, the defense doesn't even need to be that good. It just needs to be better. It needs to be average. It needs to be better than it was last year because the offense is rolling and the offensive line is really, really strong. They've got a great running game, obviously. Baker Mayfield has seemed to work it out a little bit. And even if Baker Mayfield doesn't work it out, he doesn't necessarily need to be on the top of his game all the time, as long as he stands up when they need him to. So he threw 26 touchdowns last year and they made it that deep into the playoffs. That's fucking incredible. Yeah, and he's just... He's just uh, they're at this they're at this horrifying point where actually it doesn't... You know, the offense is working so well that the defense just needs to be average and it could be better than that. So I hate this that we've we've spent the podcast about the Cleveland Browns being good and backup quarterbacks. It's this is the kind of start. There you go. Have some have some Bengals. That's that <laughs> so much better. Thank do, you. Do we think then, just as like a bit of a final thought before we can get out of it, just on this note, do we think that Baker Mayfield is a Super Bowl quarterback? I know we're not here to talk about the NFL. Maybe yes. Maybe that's the other guys, but yeah, do you think he can win a Super Bowl? Yeah. Yes. I, I think he could I be. I was expecting it to be so unanimous. I'm going to be. I honest. think he's. He could be a game manager. I, I, he's, he's, he's not going to light it up and be like one of those sort of like Patrick Mahomes style sort mm, of... Like transcendent stuff. Yeah, but Stefanski's an offensive... He's, he's got a really good offensive mind and all he needs to do is get Baker Mayfield just game manage the situation, rely on the run game because Nick Chubb is top top three running... Back Kareem Hunt as well. Kareem Hunt and... Good offensive line. Yeah, and if you get OBJ back and Jarvis Landry and Higgins is a sneaky good... Donovan Peoples-Jones, had, yeah. he played great last year. Yeah, Dave... The, Baker doesn't need to be... As well, just to Baker, the whole offensive roundup. <laughs> yeah, Baker doesn't need to be flashed next year. Like, Well, the comparison when he came out of the draft was like a little bit like Drew Brees, but it sort of... With Drew Brees, he's got a load of... They always ride on all the weapons in terms of the running game and the passing game. And I can see a similar situation happening at, at the Browns this year. He just, he just needs to be functional, in my opinion. He's also very accurate. People forget, like, he places the ball really, really well. We said this when I was talking to Sean. Oh, only 26 touchdowns. Look who he had in the backfield. 
He had two of the best running backs in the league. Guys who will literally just out of nowhere break out and just take off for 60 yards. And he doesn't need to be anything more than a game manager. Whether he can or not is still up for debate, but he doesn't need to be anything more. When you got when you can run the ball on first and second down and normally just pick up the first anyway, and then if you're on like a third and medium, just throw a fucking play action, and that every time they run a play action, the entire opposition's defense shit themselves because they think they've got to go after Nick Chubb or Kareem Hunt, which is not fun for any team. It just opens things up for Baker. We saw it when they absolutely trounced the Steelers um, in the playoffs. They they just used the run to open up every single pass Baker Mayfield made, and he made great passes all game. And Baker Mayfield is just, that's the thing, isn't it? He's really accurate, and he can fit within a structure. And there is no reason. I mean, Jimmy G got to a Super Bowl, and he has his deficiencies. And I think Baker Mayfield's better than Jimmy G, in my opinion. I think he runs that offense really, really well. And he has the kind of, I don't know, he has that confidence that maybe Jimmy G doesn't when throwing down the field. Um, and I, the, the big thing for Baker Mayfield is, as we're coming to this point, three years in, right? He's contract eligible now. The what decides whether Baker Mayfield is a Super Bowl winning quarterback is whether he takes the 25 to 30 million deal or he pushes for more. If he takes the lower deal, they can have a really great roster around him and they can be really good. If he decides suddenly after maybe, you know, this is the thing with the Browns, they should offer him a contract extension now to make sure he doesn't have a good year and a great offense and demand loads of money. But if you give him too much money, there becomes the issue. So I would, I would give him a five-year deal now get him like 25 million a year and, and then just ensure that you're not, he's never demanding big money because that's where it comes to an issue for the Browns because their roster is so good. They've got loads of young talent. They're going to have to pay him at some point and you don't really want to be paying Baker Mayfield too much. So yeah, he's a Super Bowl quarterback, but this very much depends on the most fun part of the NFL contract negotiations so I, I think he takes a lower deal as well I mean look he doesn't even pay pay rent he lives in the stadium so he's, he's saving a lot of money just no but I, I legitimately think me and Sean said this the swagger and, and and the confidence this man has I feel like he's the type of guy who will say you know what I want to stay with this team I want to he's a winner you say what you like about hot guy though, right? the Colin Cowherd bullshit <laughs> He is a winner right. uh, and he has the drive and he has the swagger. hundred percent. I think he takes a lower deal. And he you could. should, it should be an incentive laden one though. If, if I was to say, yeah, that, for sure. Okay. Okay. Baker, here's the thing. Play on his ego, right? Baker, right. Your base 20 million, right? Okay. But if you get us to the playoffs, here's a bit more. If you get us to an AFC championship, here's a bit more. Win Super Bowl, here's the kind of money you want. We'll and give you 50 progressive money. commercials. If you win a Super Bowl. <laughs> play on that ego so yeah that that will be the and I think that's the big thing for the Browns and Andrew Berry will know this he has a very good idea of what they can and can't give Baker but 100% he is a Super Bowl winning quarterback I you can't can imagine him playing for any other team either sorry no. you can see you can see similar situation how it worked with the, with the Rams and Jared Goff where Goff took them to the Super Bowl and, he, and sort of McVay developed that offence for him and he had all the weapons on defense and and offenses with Cooper Cup and, and Robert Woods and a running game with Todd Gurley. You can see a very similar situation happening at the Browns with sort of Garrett being the Aaron Donald of, of, of obviously that Super Bowl run and yeah, just yeah, I'm all I'm all, I'm all this year. The Rams are a great comparison as well because it's I mean, Jared Goff obviously doesn't have... He's not as good as Baker Mayfield, and he's really a bit thick. And, and that's just... That was always the issue with him, wasn't it? He just... He's never... He didn't have... He's just never had that kind of intelligence that Baker clearly does. And I don't think he's the kind of quarterback that Stefanski would get bored with because you can't get bored with Baker Mayfield. You can get really annoyed at him if he if he's bad, but... He, you'll never get bored of him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we strayed and stepped on a few toes of the NFL podcast a little bit. Hopefully, Sean and, and Tim and everyone aren't going to too mad at us for talking about the Cleveland Browns for a little while. But I guess Sean should be pretty pleased. But 
Um, yeah, so we've, we've had a lot of good conversation. I've really enjoyed this podcast tonight, boys. Let's go around the table, give out some handles and tell us what we're doing uh, for the next couple of weeks until draft arrives and let's get out of here. Ed, I'll start at the top of my screen with you. So my Twitter is at Paradise. My huge, humongous, big board slash draft guide is coming out on the week of the draft. I'm doing safeties at the moment. It's crushing my soul. <laughs> uh, and I think my next article, me and Kieran are facing off on the topic of Drew Locke which should be interesting because Kieran seems to like him and I think he's objectively one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. So that'll be fun. So keep an eye out for that. That will be great. We, we love these articles when we're heading off against each other at the full time yard. So yeah, keep your eyes peeled for that one. And also for Ed's, uh, Ed's draft guide slash big board as well. That should be fantastic. Kieran, what about yourself? Yeah, I am at the Himbo F10Y. Like Ed said, we're going to be facing off in this article. Forgetting that he um, we were going to do it, I probably... I've got a horsecock lock T-shirt from uh, Brandon Perner at That Good Sports. I should have I should have worn that today, actually. Uh, but yeah, just we'll have some more articles out soon. Obviously, head over to full10yards.com forward slash shop. Pick up the draft guide. There's still a lot of time to get one. Get educated. Know what you're doing. Come get to know guys like Odigizua and Elijah Molden. The brand, just right? just get, get to know. If you don't know, now you know. <laughs> And obviously, you're hosting me on the Kieran's Corner podcast very, very yes, soon as if, well. So, if the COVID vaccine doesn't kill me this weekend, <laughs> then uh, Monday it should be out with me and Lee talking about the. I nearly said San Diego Chargers, Los Angeles Chargers. <laughs> it still happens every now and then, but I'm really disappointed that you nearly said that. And Raj, what about yourself? Yes, yeah, so follow me on Twitter at the Garch. And yeah, I, I, I've been a bit uh, delayed on sending out a few articles but I'm going back into I've still got my five takes to do so I, I have a take on why I think this year's wide receiver class is, is similar to last year's offensive tackle class so a few spicy takes there and um, yeah follow me at the Garch get your draft guides we now we're now distributing the physical copies as well so if you if you do like having having a draft guide in your hand on draft day physical copies are out there as well so um get shopping and get uh, get listening to also the, the podcast we'll be doing with the NFL Draft Punks and, and the other guys as well. He'll be really uh, pushing out our draft guide as well. So thank you to those guys as well. Absolutely. Yeah, completely second that, 100%. Um, and for myself, at Wakefield90 on Twitter, and I'm also behind the Full 10 Yards CFB handle a lot of the time, so it's at Full 10 Yards CFB, obviously. Um, as the guys have said, go and get your draft guide. Uh, physical copies are out being posted out today, a day of recording on Wednesday. So by the time this is coming out, you should be getting them in your hands. And there's still like plenty of copies left, like we say. So uh, yeah, come and buy some, come and support the British game with our at, um, sorry hashtag for the game uh, scheme that we're putting people through referee and coaching courses. So like I say, even if you don't want the actual guide itself, but just give us a few quid to give someone a coaching course and help someone out. So it's all going towards a good course. And uh, in terms of article-wise, uh, we missed a couple of people on the draft guide. There's been a few late risers. So I've got Peyton Turner. I've got a draft profile of Peyton Turner in the mix, and that should be out before the end of the week. And then next week, I'm going to do Jimin Davis as well, because obviously another guy who's had a late rise and kind of now been bizarrely talked about in the first round. I'm not sure I see that from what I've seen on tape so far. But yeah, a couple of write-ups from me coming in the next few weeks. And and uh, yeah, by the time we get there, it'll be draft, site, draft time. So uh, yeah, like I say, join us next week. And thanks for listening to this one. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the podcast. For all your football needs, check out our website, full10yards.com, or follow us on Twitter at full10yardscfb. And remember, keep those eyes peeled.